The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about feedback, but not giving feedback. We're going to talk about receiving feedback. So for all of my clients, everyone is talking about how to create a more high-performance-driven culture, and that typically means that leaders are striving to, improve, striving to improve everybody's performance, which usually means they start a round of giving feedback. The notion being the end of the year, mid-year, and hopefully throughout the year, leaders are talking to you about what you're doing well and not doing so well. Now, that sounds like a rational and generally, I would argue, very useful practice. However, I find it misses a particularly key ingredient, and that has to do with how you can receive feedback, even if it's not particularly well-constructed. So how do you hear it, respond to it, act on it, and even dismiss it if that's what is appropriate? Even better, how can you take it, quote-unquote, less personally? So with me today is Sheila Heen. Sheila is a New York Times bestselling author. The book that she is so well-known for is Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters. Sheila is founder of the Triad Consulting Group and a faculty member at Harvard Law School and has spent 20 years, the last 20 years, in the Harvard Negotiation Project, largely working with executive teams, helping them figure out how to have the difficult negotiations, work through the conflict, repair the relationship, make sound decisions, especially when emotions run high and the relationships are kind of strained. Recently, though, Sheila has turned to a new book, and that's the subject for today, and that's called Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well, Even When It's Off-Base, Unfair, Poorly Delivered, and Frankly, You're Not in the Mood. So, Sheila, welcome to the show. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm thrilled to have you because I think this is just a critical part of this whole performance-driven culture that we have left ignored. So well done for you for focusing on feedback. So start, how did you get started? So you do negotiations, you do difficult conversations. What made you turn to this notion of receiving feedback? Well, what's interesting to me is that as we traveled around and, and worked with leaders on their most challenging conversations, One of the patterns that kept coming up was feedback, that organizations all over the world and leaders all over the world are struggling to have the feedback conversations that they know that they should have. Um, And for a long time, we did what I think everybody does, which is we thought, well, okay, we can help you with that. And we work to help people give feedback more effectively, more clearly, more consistently, and more often. And, you know, that 
helps some. There's a lot you can do to be more skillful, but what we started to find was that it wasn't actually solving the problem. In other words, people still didn't have time for it, and it only took a couple of experiences of offering someone feedback and having them dismiss it or argue with them or get take it to heart and become demotivated for people to think, well, it's just not, it's just not worth it. And so feedback conversations didn't actually take hold or function more effectively. And I think it took us a really long time, probably 10 years, before sort of beating our head against the wall, it suddenly occurred to us that actually in any exchange of feedback between a giver and receiver, it's the receiver who's really in charge of what they're letting in and what sense they're making of it and whether and how they choose to change. So maybe we were actually coming about this backwards. Maybe we should be trying to understand what's so hard for all of us and maybe particularly high achievers um, about receiving everybody else's offhand comments, you know, unsolicited suggestions, um, tips, tricks, etc. And what was it about that that actually was short-circuiting those conversations being richer um, and more fruitful? Makes a lot of sense to me. I know that I spend, like you, a lot of time helping leaders understand how to give a clear, clean, actionable message. And short of turning everybody into a psychologist, I'm not convinced that we're actually going to get terribly far down the way, though I'm not giving up the ghost yet. I find that I work with receivers regularly trying to decipher what was that message, what could it possibly mean, and therefore what could you possibly do about it. But in your work, why did you find that receiving feedback was so hard? What is it that makes this so difficult for all of us? Well, you know, one of the things that um, I think sits at the heart of that challenge is that feedback, and and by, by the way, by feedback, I do mean those annual performance reviews, but I also just mean all of the information available to us in the world about ourselves, right? So it can be direct or indirect, spoken or unspoken, formal or informal, Um. And the, the, the core dilemma is that feedback of any sort really sits at the junction of two core human needs. On the one hand, we do want to learn and grow. And if you look at the happiness research, um, learning, growing, getting better at things is a big piece of what makes life satisfying. And so sometimes we find feedback genuinely exciting, rewarding. You know, we, we immediately feel grateful for it, and it feels like the gift that everyone says it's supposed to be. But the problem then becomes that we run into a second human need, which is the need to be accepted and respected and maybe even loved the way that we are now. And the very fact that other people's feedback for me can suggest that how I am now is not totally okay. Um, with my colleagues or my friends or my family. And so I think that feedback can also be among the most painful experiences of our lives and that this tension actually helped me understand why we have such conflicted, such a conflicted relationship with feedback. On the one hand, we know we should want it, and often later I'm grateful for it, but in the moment um, it's infuriating, it's depressing, it's upsetting, it's devastating, um, you know, it disrupts relationships, et cetera. Okay, and does it make sh- any difference, Sheila, who's delivering the message? Do you find that one kind of deliverer, like the level of trust with the deliverer, makes any difference at all in how we receive it? Well, so this is one of the things that was really interesting, is that as we started to talk to people and observe ourselves in our own reactions to feedback, 
we started to see that when any of us receive feedback, we often have triggered reactions to it. And there are three kinds of triggers that we as human beings have when we get feedback. Um, The first is what we call truth triggers. In other words, I'm immediately looking for what's wrong with this feedback. Why wouldn't it work? Is it good advice or bad advice? Do they know what they're talking about? Would it work? So it's all about assessing the quality of the advice or suggestion or evaluation. The second, though, is exactly what you're hitting on, which is what we call relationship triggers. All feedback sits in the relationship between giver and receiver, and so often I'll have a bigger reaction to who's giving me the feedback than I do to what they're saying. Um, And interestingly, that can run in both directions. In other words, you know, if it's someone I don't trust, if it's someone I don't like, if it's someone whose values are different from mine, I don't want to be like you, so why would I take your advice? Um, I'm going to reject the feedback. But it's also true that sometimes the people closest to us, um, we can't hear them in the way that we could hear it from someone who's an acquaintance or a stranger. Um, And, you know, my husband has feedback for me. I don't think of it as feedback. I think of it as him being annoying (laughs) and re-pointing out my character flaws. But someone else could tell me the same thing, and actually it gets through in a different way. And I think that's because of that wanting to be accepted and respected sometimes by the people closest to us. So relationship triggers, I think, are really interesting because they work in both directions. And, you know, part of the challenge is separating the who from the what. Um, This could be coming from exactly the wrong person. They may be worse at this than I am. But what they're saying actually could have some value. And by the way, the third kind of trigger is what we call identity triggers. And that has everything to do with both our wiring in terms of how sensitive we are um, generally or about particular topics. And second, the story we tell about who we are. And what we found is that individual sensitivity to feedback can vary by up to 3,000%. Wow, 3,000%. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, all of us are trying to like work together on a team and give feedback to each other with that variation in the room. <laughs> okay, good. That, no so wonder it doesn't work very well. get a sense well. of how complicated this is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to talk about the triggers and I want to talk about how we deal with the triggers. But before we go there, let's just lay out what the typical response is for somebody who's giving feedback. So let's say, Sheila, that you sat down to me and said, Wanda, I have a piece of feedback for you, and you start telling me feedback. What happens? Is it then that I go immediately into those triggers, or is there something that happens first? Well, so what is your first thought, Wanda, when someone says, so um, I have a little feedback for you? What, oh, no, what, what's in, coming now is what I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Or someone says can I give you a little feedback? And you think to yourself, no. But of course you say, sure. Yeah. Or not now. <laughs> or <laughs> I, Yeah, I think we're immediately on guard. We're immediately anxious. I think we feel under threat. Um, and, and we should actually pause and just talk about different kinds of feedback at this stage. Um, because although we throw around this word feedback, um, there are actually three different types of feedback, and they have very different purposes. Okay. And the easy way to remember them is ACE. Um, A is appreciation. It just says, like, I see you, I get you, you matter. Like, I noticed you're busting your butt around here, um, and that actually is valued by me. And that's what keeps us motivated. 
Um, the second is coaching. Coaching is anything that is trying to help me get better, more efficient, more effective, expand my knowledge or skill. And, you know, coaching in the business world has, has become a term of art for a particular approach to helping someone learn, but, and that's included here, but I actually mean the bigger category. Anything, advice, suggestion, correction, role modeling, if it's trying to help me get better, it counts as coaching. And then the third E is evaluation. And evaluation rates or ranks us. It tells us where we stand and what to expect. So evaluation is the most emotionally loud. We have the biggest reaction to it. So when someone walks in and says, hey, I have some, piece, I have some feedback for you, or can I give you some feedback, we're, I think, immediately on guard, um, worried about feeling judged. They're about to tell me, I didn't meet their expectations, that I, you know, I'm not, I'm good or I'm not good, I'm competent or incompetent, there's something obvious that I missed, I'm stupid. Um, and I think that we are often also often, sorry, self-critical. So we're evaluating ourselves all the time. And then other people's voices just add to that chorus. Right. Especially if you're high performers. I find high performers are the most self-critical group I've ever worked with in my life. That's so, exactly Sheila, right. I want, I want to go backwards to talk, of course, about the triggers, but let me ask a different question first. You know, when someone comes up to me and says, Wanda, I'd like to give you some feedback, or would you like to have some feedback? The asking of the question isn't really a question. So it, right, is right. it better for people to just say, hey, Wanda, I noticed, or hey, Wanda, next time would you do? Should we just go straight to it without asking the question? Yeah, I think that um, can I give you some feedback isn't really a genuine question. It, I mean, I could say um, no, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah <laughs> but sure. <laughs> I, no, keep it to yourself. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Um, I never liked you anyway. So uh, I think that I think that for givers, there is a real dilemma, which is that we have something. Chances are, if it's appreciation, we don't ask permission. We just say, you know, wow, it meant a lot to me. You know, you really pulled that off, and, you know, it has had a huge impact on our team. We don't ask permission to offer appreciation. So immediately, I'm on notice that it's either coaching or evaluation. And there's this funny structural thing, which is that all coaching includes just a little bit of evaluation because in saying you could have done it better, implicitly I'm saying you're not doing it as well as you might. Mm-hmm. So I do think that we're sort of correctly on guard. So if I'm a giver asking, can I give you some feedback, isn't quite the right question to ask. Maybe the right question to ask is, I had a couple of ideas of things you might try. Is this a good time? Or if you're interested, let me know. That actually is a much more open-ended um, sort of observation and then leaving at the ball in the receiver's court. Because for some people, particularly if I'm really sensitive, I actually don't want it right now because it's going to be so upsetting to me that it's going to mess up the whole rest of my teaching day. So I actually don't want it until the end of the day or I don't want it until this weekend, even if then I do want it. Yeah. Well, and it makes me feel a little bit more in control if I can genuinely choose the time with which I receive it. Okay. Yeah, so, and, and you're the one who knows best when is a better time for you based on sort of your sensitivity and preferences. Right, right, and processing. All right, so yeah. let's talk about this first trigger, the easiest one, the truth. So, you know, you've come up to me, Sheila, and you've said, Wanda, I, I have some feedback. I have a couple of ideas. Is this a good time? I've, you know, kind of gone, oh, whatever, and said yes. 
And now I'm on guard. Mm-hmm. And the first trigger that we might be dealing with is the truth trigger. So this is when in my head it's going through, do I believe her? Do she have any good ideas? Do I think she's seen? Is that the kind of thing that goes on with the truth trigger? It definitely is. And, and what's interesting is that I think as human beings, we're incredibly good at doing what I call wrong spotting. So when feedback is incoming, I'm scanning it for what's wrong with it. Right? What they're saying wouldn't work. They're worse at this than I am. You know, when they're offering it to me is totally inappropriate. How they're doing it is pathetic. Um, and I'm looking for what's wrong with it because if I can figure out what's wrong with it, well, then I can safely set it aside and relax and move on with my day um, with my identity intact. So we're incredibly good at scanning for what's wrong. And I think the smarter you are, actually, the better you are at that, which makes us all feel good about ourselves. Um, but yeah. the problem is that there's always going to be something wrong with your feedback. In fact, it might be 90% wrong. It came at exactly the wrong time. It came from the wrong person. Um, it shouldn't have been said in front of the client. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something valuable there. There might just be 10% there, but it might be exactly what I need to start thinking about. Mm-hmm. And so rather than, ask, than looking just for what's wrong, what I encourage people to do is listen for what's wrong because you're instinctively going to do that anyway. But then also ask yourself, okay, is there anything that might be right about what this person is saying. Um, And for a high achiever, I can put my high achievement to work to say, okay, I'm going to find something that might be right. You know, they misunderstood me, but actually it's important for me to know that I'm not being clear. I'm being misunderstood. So what do I need to learn about how to put my message across differently Um, rather than just thinking that's their problem, they misunderstood. So to be able to say, so yes, I get that we're all going to do the wrong spotting. We're probably not going to be able to stop that. But to yeah. shift it in my mind to say, what is it that might be right about that takes a good bit of security, maturity, emotional calmness. Is this something that we rehearse, that we just practice? Is this something that we do after the fact and go back and turn around to? Uh, how do we get better at doing that? What's right about this feedback? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, so um, when we talk about dealing with truth triggers and and what helps, one of the things that we focus on is um, mastering the skills around the challenge to see. And the challenge to see two things. Number one, what in the world the giver is trying to tell you? So I'm shifting my purpose in the conversation itself from deciding quickly whether I agree or disagree, defend myself or, you know, accept the feedback, Instead, my only purpose is to better understand what they're trying to say because feedback arrives in these incredibly frustrating, vague labels, right? People say, you just need to work on your people skills or, you know, I think you could have been more proactive or I need you to be more responsive. Um, And so what happens is we get that phrase or label and we immediately assume what they mean by it and reject it out of hand before we understand, I'm sorry, I thought I was responsive. Help me understand what you mean by responsive. What is it that I dropped here? Okay. Um, and so in the moment, shifting my purpose from I don't have to decide right now whether I agree or disagree can help me find a place to stand to say, okay, I'll decide that later. First, I just have to understand where's this coming from? What did you observe? Or where is this going? If I follow your advice, what would I change? And just asking either of those questions, looking to the past, where did it come from, or what do you expect, et cetera, or looking to the future, if I follow this advice, what are you suggesting I do differently, can 
create a richer conversation between us. And then I can decide later, that's a good idea, or that's not something that is my biggest problem right now. I have other things, I have other bigger <laughs> problems to solve. But I don't have to decide in the moment. And that actually can help us find a place to stand. Okay, so I like that. It's two questions, basically, or two kinds of questions. One is this, um, help me understand what it is you mean by that. What Mm -hmm. does the label you just gave me mean to you? Which is a non-defensive, non-aggressive way of saying, tell me more. Yeah. Um, Often, you know, they give me an example is it can be a a bit off-putting because that can be quite aggressive. So give me an example of that, would you? doesn't always work so well. So the first one is to say, what does it mean to you? And then the second kind of question is to say, okay, so what would I change if I were following your advice? Yeah, and I find if I'm feeling particularly defensive or frustrated by the feedback, that future-looking question is a little bit easier for me to hear because I don't, if if they explain to me what they saw me do, I, I can get sucked into debating whether they had the whole story, or they misunderstood, or they misinterpreted something. If they just say, look, what I'm suggesting um, is that, you know, when you get my email and you're thinking about it, just send me back a line that says, I've got it, I'll get back to you. That, I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. Or it might be, that's just not real realistic, I don't think, but let's talk about what problems it creates for you when you don't hear from me. So that the future-looking question sometimes is a little bit safer place for me to go when I'm feeling... Um, okay. I don't know. You know, like I'm I'm triggered. I suppose okay. is the right. Okay. Is the right term. I don't know. What's your experience with this? Um, I find so I use the word curious. If I can get myself to a curious place, so yeah. what does that mean to you when you say that phrase or that adjective or that label? What are you thinking about? Um, what would you like to see happen? Give me an example of somebody who does this particularly well. All of those take the emphasis off me and let Mm -hmm. me get in my safe spot, which is an intellectually curious place. But when it's emotional, it's awfully difficult to do. I know, it is. It is. And and I would say that I, one of the things I guess I want to say loud and clear is that this is, um, this is often iterative conversations over time in the moment Often feedback is offered offhand as a hit and run, and then yes. I, you know, we don't have time to discuss it now. So now I'm just upset and frustrated with you. So sometimes it's actually how do I negotiate with myself to get into a place of curiosity to come back to you to pick up the conversation, or how do I go to a friend to say, listen, I got an upsetting piece of feedback. Can you just help me test it? I can see what's wrong with it, but can you help me see if there's anything right about it? Because that's the okay. other part of the challenge to see is to see yourself accurately, um, which is another big topic which maybe goes in the next segment. (laughs) We will go in the next segment. So we're going to take a break, though, right now. And when we come back, I want to talk about um, the second trigger, which is the relationship trigger. So with me today is Sheila Heen. Sheila is a best-selling author. The book, former book is Difficult Conversations. The current book is Thanks for the Feedback. Sheila is founder of Triad Consulting Company, faculty at Harvard Business Law School, excuse me, and part of the Harvard Negotiation Project. We'll be right back to continue on the triggers. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Sheila Heen, and the book that we're talking about is Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Um, Sheila is a faculty at Harvard Law School. She spent the last 20 years in the Harvard Negotiation Project. She's a founder of Triad Consulting Group, and she spends a lot of time with executive teams around the world, helping them understand how to work through conflict, repair relationships, and make really sound decisions. And as Sheila said in the very beginning, one of the conversations that turns out to be so difficult is how to give feedback. However, rather than focusing on how you give feedback, Sheila has turned her attention to how do you receive feedback. So we've just been talking about someone comes up to you in the hall and says, hey, I've got, would you like to hear some feedback? Or I have some feedback for you or any variation on that theme. And immediately that sets off an emotional reaction, usually a bit defensive, a bit we're on guard, as Sheila says, either because we're expecting something critical, evaluative, or because we're expecting somebody to tell us something we haven't done well. What follows from that is one of three triggers. The first trigger that goes in our brain is what's wrong with the feedback that you're giving, what Sheila calls the truth trigger. And the focus on how to deal with the truth trigger is to get out of the judgment spot, try to be a bit more curious, and to ask a conversation, either in the moment or over time, focusing on, explain to me what you mean by I'm not being more strategic, or what would being more strategic look like to you, or if I was being more strategic, what would you like me to do, or whatever else the phrase is. Now, the second trigger that happens is the relationship trigger. So, Sheila, how does this go, and what do we do about it? Well, one of the things that's interesting to me is that relationship triggers, in other words, um, having an objection to who is offering you the feedback is probably the most common one that I hear. When I say to people, so think of a piece of feedback or advice that you've gotten in the last year that you didn't take, and tell me why you didn't take it. Complaints about who gave it to you top the list. And it could be 
Um, you know, I don't like them. I don't trust them. I don't think they, I have, I think they had their own hidden agenda. Um, it could be when they gave it was totally inappropriate. Why they gave it is suspect. Where they gave it, gave it was, you know, ridiculous. How they gave it was totally unskilled. And what's interesting is that we do what we call switch tracking in our minds, which is that we change the topic from evaluating the feedback itself, the coaching or advice or whatever it is, to um, why there's a problem with the person, either how and when they gave it or who they are or et cetera. And actually, those two things aren't necessarily um, even the same topic. So, for instance, um, this is super easy to see, by the way, with teenagers. So um, I went through it. So I'm, you know, writing this book about feedback, and I am picking up my um, freshman in high school from sports practice on a regular basis. And inevitably, like at least once a week, I would arrive and he would say, you're late. And I would look at him because I'm, you know, a professional feedback receiver and say, don't talk to me that way. (laughs) Which I am doing exactly the switch tracking. And by switch tracking, I mean um, like a railroad track, you smoothly transfer to a second topic, and you often are not even realizing you're doing it as a receiver. But don't talk to me that way is about how he's giving me the feedback rather than am I late or am I not? And what did that mean for him for having to stand out in the rain or, or whatever? He's got homework that he's worried about. Um, so what's interesting is that feedback conversations get derailed because as receivers, we have complaints about who and how um, that actually take over and enable us to actually go off on this separate topic that helps us to get away from whether the feedback itself is right or wrong. It strikes me, Sheila, that I must hear this in my coaching practice every single session. Yes, exactly. This whole, you know, rejection of the person who is giving and the way in which they're giving the feedback. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So how do we deal with that? Well, so part of the challenge, I think there are two main things to do. One is just listening for switch tracks. Once you start listening for them, you hear them constantly, as you are saying. And just to label, um, to separate the who from the what. So to sort of signpost, okay, I'm willing to talk about whether I'm late. And then we also have a second topic to talk about, which is how you're giving me the feedback or how you're talking to me and whether you appreciate the, you know, that I left early and battled traffic to get here so because I'm feeling underappreciated. So I have complaints about how I'm being treated. That's separate feedback for you from your feedback for me. So now we have two topics. So one is just recognizing that and naming that we have two topics on the table. Okay. The second thing is the other and I think really interesting piece of relationships and feedback, which is that together often as colleagues or family members or spouses, we have a relationship system, and often my feedback for you is really me explaining why if you were just different, we wouldn't have this problem. If you weren't so messy or if you weren't so unresponsive or if you weren't so um, anal, if you weren't so irresponsible with money, there wouldn't be a problem. So I'm explaining to you why in our relationship you are the problem. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, of course, your reaction to that is, to often reasonably to think, no, see, I'm not the problem. If you were less worried about money, um, if you were less 
uh, or you know more relaxed about messiness, then we wouldn't have a problem. So each of us is actually pointing out how if the other person changed, the relationship would be okay. Yeah. Um, and so some of it is actually taking apart, and you know that phrase, um, you know, this says more about you than it says about me? Yep. <laughs> That's often a way for me to just erase my part and decide it's your problem. But really, that's often a you plus me problem. There's something about the way, the combination of you and me that is creating a problem in how we're trying to work together and untangling that to think about it. Are there better ways for us to work together um, actually is the conversation that we should be having, which means that we're both givers and we're both receivers at the same time. Okay. All right, so let's put that in practice. Um, yeah. I get coaching clients, cons- well, like in classes, especially, no, I won't say who, but at any rate, um, so people will be talking about ways in which you can alter your behavior to get different responses from people. Adaptations, yeah. simple, basic adaptations that make the relationship smoother. And the inevitable comment I get from the class is, but why should I change? Isn't that my boss's responsibility or my peer's responsibility to change? Why should I have to change? In effect, they're wrong, I'm right. Yeah. And this is just another variation on that theme. Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I do think that over time in relationships, sometimes you get a pattern where um, – one person sort of absorbs all the responsibility for making the relationship work and the other person just shifts or deflects any responsibility for making the relationship work. So everybody else has to adapt to them. And over time, I do think that that builds resentment. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, in the course of our relationships with other people, often we're both contributing to the difficulty. And so I, the only person I control is myself. So I have a lot of power, actually, to experiment with handling this differently. And, by the way, making requests of the other person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do this differently. I think it would help us handle this more effectively if you could also do the following. Um, I have a lot of power to just experiment and see whether I get a different response that actually helps me. So it's not just that it helps the other person. It actually makes my life a little bit easier. It makes us more effective or have less transaction cost in dealing with each other. I'm curious, Wanda, have you had a relationship where you have experimented and seen something change that surprised you? Oh, I was going down a different track. My brain was going down a different track. (laughs) I have routinely seen... Yeah, I have personally and I have certainly coached people on this one as well, where you get a small deviation in the way in which you approach somebody. So, for example, the ability to show respect rather than disgust, to lead with the respect, to lead with the positive, often is just the tiny little shift that breaks open the conversation and the relationship. And it just gets easier, gets simpler to deal with, Yeah, as an example. I I personally find that it's easier for me to say that, you know, this thing is bothering me and here's what I'm going to do about it. That I put the other person on notice that I'm making a shift so they don't interpret that in a weird way. And my taking accountability for that often helps the other person go, you're right, I've been struggling with that. That's a good idea. Let me also try. So that it becomes a we're in it together rather than a finger pointing. Yeah, so that I think is one of the most interesting things about negotiating relationships, which is um, 
that reciprocity, reciprocity meaning I'll reflect back whatever I'm getting from you. So if you attack me, I'm going to attack you back. Um, but if you, if, if I show a willingness to change something so that we can work more effectively together, it's really likely that you will start to reflect back also a willingness to change something so we work more effectively together. So reciprocity is something that you can harness in a positive direction rather than just letting it suck you into the escalation that often happens in a negative direction. Okay. All right. So we've talked about the relationship triggers and you can sort of see how this goes that I start to complain about who said it, how they said it, where they said it, when they said it, their motives, everything else around them. And we get ourselves sucked into that switch tracking, as you say, so that the conversation is no longer about the truth and the feedback. The conversation now is about how dare you in one way or another. Yeah, what's wrong with them? Yes, that's always a very entertaining topic. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And a great conversation for your friends over a glass of wine or whatever other beverage you prefer, but not necessarily helpful in a business environment. The advice is to listen for the switch tracks, start to notice them. And then two is to recognize that it's a system, that each of us have an accountability in this system and a piece to play in the system. And that gives us each power as opposed to being a victim. So let's turn to the third trigger, which I think is probably the hardest one to get our heads around, and that's the identity trigger. What does that mean? Explain it. Yeah, so uh, identity has to do with, so if, if, let me back up, if the truth trigger challenge is the challenge to see, to see what in the world they're trying to tell you and to see yourself accurately. And the relationship trigger is the challenge of we, to separate the who from the what. Um, Then the identity trigger is the challenge of being me, of understanding my own profile in terms of my sensitivity to feedback um, and to help other people know how to give me feedback, to take some responsibility for coaching others on how to coach me. Um, and also to work to ground my self-story about who I am to be more feedback-friendly rather than being feedback-adverse. In other words, um, there are some stories that we can tell about ourselves that say, you know, I have to be at the top of my game. I'm either smarter, not smart. I'm either a good leader or a bad leader. That means any feedback is verdict about who we are and whether we are, whether we can cut it. Um, if instead my self-story is, you know, look, I'm someone who's working incredibly hard and learning all the time, so feedback is just the next thing I need to work on, um, that actually makes me more open to feedback because it's not a verdict. Um, it's, it's more an opportunity to learn. This is all related to Carol Dweck's work at Stanford on fixed mindsets and growth mindsets as well. Okay. Okay. Makes sense to me. So a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. All right, so how then do I deal with the identity trigger? What, what's the action? Well, so part of it is just understanding your own sensitivity. So and by, here's what I mean by sensitivity. In the wake of feedback, um, and let's, the most obvious is negative feedback, how upset do you get and how long does it take you to recover? And by the way, this can vary depending on you know, how important it is, whether it's a topic you're sensitive about, but also just between people, there are core differences in how sensitive people are and how far they swing emotionally and how long it takes them. Um, it's not better, actually, to be, we'll call it undersensitive rather than insensitive, although if you're insensitive, you don't really care what we call you. You'll get over it quickly. Um, it's not necessarily better. There are challenges on either end because if you're 
not very sensitive to feedback. Often you don't even realize people are giving you feedback. Um, it goes right by you. Or when you do get it, it doesn't stick in memory. So you actually have to work harder to keep front and center something you're working on because memory is correlated with emotion. If you don't have a very big emotional reaction in the conversation, you've got good intentions, but by next week you've forgotten about it. So I think there are just different challenges to being undersensitive than there are to being highly sensitive. Um, and right. people who are undersensitive often feel frustrated, like, just be direct, like, just tell me. Um, but then they are sometimes also very direct with others, and other people give them feedback that they're harsh. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, I'm not harsh, I'm just being direct. Because that's mm-hmm. how they would appreciate it if people gave them feedback, but they're not understanding that other people aren't wired the same way they are. Right, right, right. I certainly see that a thousand times over. So now take the case that I'm a bit oversensitive. Any advice for how to navigate that in a way that's going to be easier? Yeah, so one of the things that happens when you're really upset by a piece of feedback is that the feedback itself gets supersized. Like one thing becomes everything, you know, this, this means I can't do anything right. Um, the now becomes forever, like I'm never going to get good at this, I'm never going to get over this, et cetera. And so we, it becomes distorted where the feedback grows beyond actual size. And in that state, you really can't learn. You've got to actually um, dismantle those distortions to see the feedback at actual size. And this is some, a place where friends can help. And also just understanding, okay, this is, this is the thing that I do. I feel totally devastated with, by this. I'm probably overreacting. I'm going to feel better by tomorrow. I just have to wait it out, you know, or I need to go talk to so-and-so, which will help me get some perspective here that this isn't the whole story about me. It's like you're Googling everything that's wrong with me and you're getting, you know, 8 million hits all your past mistakes and failed relationships and sponsored ads from your father and your ex. Um, But you're not Googling things I'm handling relatively well. If you did in your mind, you would see that, well, okay, that's 80 million hits. And you start to have a more balanced picture of who you are and how big or small, what this feedback is about and what it's not about. Once you see the actual size, then you can actually start to learn from it. And friends can help you do that um, with those two questions, you know, what's wrong with this feedback and what might be right about it? What's wrong with me and what am I doing right? Can help you actually um, get some perspective on it. I don't know, Wanda, what you would say about your own profile. Yeah, I know I'm oversensitive to feedback. I always have been. I think I've gotten better with age. It's sort of after a while, you know, yeah, okay, join the queue. There's a bunch of people who would like me to change, some of whom have had an impact, some of whom I haven't. I have a club membership for you. <laughs> the, I think the there's Wanda some Change truth. Club. <laughs> yes. There is some truth in that. And, you know, there's some truth in the fact that part of it is, I, um, I'll give you an example. I can be very direct. It is what I do. In spite of the fact that I can be very sensitive about feedback, I prefer to give the direct message, let's get it over with. I try to do that sensitively and caringly, but I know I can blow that with people. And just recognizing, yep, that's one of the things I do, and I don't respond to it. Well, yep, that's me. Okay, next. Makes it a whole lot easier to take, you know, okay, you're right, I got that wrong. Yeah. Well, and Um, one of the things that we don't often do is have the conversation about how we will coach each other. mm -hmm. 
is to have the conversation on the team to say, you know, look, I would love more coaching on a couple of fronts. I can be sensitive, so don't be put off if I'm upset. It just means I'm hearing you. Or one thing I've said to my team is, if I'm triggered, sometimes I'll use humor as a coping mechanism. So if I seem to kind of make a joke and laugh it off, please don't interpret that as me actually dismissing it. In the moment, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, but please know I'm thinking about it and I will circle back to you. So I'm just trying to help other people around me know how to offer it to me and how to interpret my reactions when I do get triggered so that it doesn't actually push feedback away um, on a systematic basis. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that one helps a whole lot because if people understand what's going on, they do know how to interpret it and they don't overreact. They don't say, oh, there she goes again, being insensitive or whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. Exactly. Okay. There's um, a fascinating piece of research that's very old that I just want to bring up at this moment because it focuses on this notion of what am I doing right And the general notion is that when I'm in a negative mood, um, the original research is even suicidal for that matter, that everything is colored as dark, nothing is right, and it's all generalized, as in I'm awful, life is terrible, it's never going to be better. Just shifting to a specific helps lift that mood, even in suicide victims or suicide um, attempts. Getting people to be specific. So tell me one thing that's bad. Be concrete about it. And you find that it isn't as bad when you get concrete. And what you're saying here, focusing on the, so what do I do well? Not the generalize, but specifically name one thing that I do really, really well to yourself even or to a friend. Can I find can often help shift that overwhelming sense of, oh my gosh, I'm never going to make it. Yeah, that, that doom zoom and that um, supersizing of feedback to be about everything, um, I think, is so destructive. And we call it um, containing the feedback. And sometimes a friend can help you just on a piece of paper say, what is this about? This is about whether I might have run that staff meeting, you know, on Monday in a more effective way or whether it went on a little too long. What is this not about? This is not about whether I know how to run a meeting generally. This is not about whether I'm a good leader. This is not about whether I'm a good parent. And that delineation to help both in the conversation itself, which we can talk about in the third segment, but also as I'm trying to dismantle those distortions for myself um, can help me see that it really isn't about everything and who I am. Okay. Fabulous. Sheila, we're going to take a quick break here. So with me today is Sheila Heen. The book we've been talking about is Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well, parenthesis, even when it's off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. I love that title, Sheila. We've been talking about the kind of triggers that get us off base and not actually processing the feedback in a constructive manner. One of those triggers is the truth trigger. I don't believe what you said. The second one is a relationship trigger. How dare you say that to me now on this occasion in that particular way? And the third one is the identity, the doom zoom, the kind of um, I'm upset or the other side of it, which is it doesn't matter at all. The stories we tell ourselves so that we discount the feedback. We're going to take a break. When we come right back, I want to talk about how the feedback conversation should flow.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Sheila Heen. Sheila is the founder of Triad Consulting Group, a faculty member at Harvard Law School, has spent 20 years on the Harvard Negotiation Project, and the book we've been talking about is Thanks for the Feedback. So, Sheila, we've been talking about the, tr- the triggers, the truth trigger, the relationship trigger, and the identity trigger, and how to deal with those. In the last few minutes that we have available, what's your best advice for how to navigate the feedback conversation? Well, part of the problem is the way that we ask for feedback. We're not clear whether we're looking for, I just need a little appreciation, a little encouragement. Is there anything I'm doing right? I really am interested in some coaching on this front. Or, you know, can I just can't tell where I stand and how I'm doing. So that's one thing is be clear what it is that would be helpful to you right now. The second is, particularly if you're looking for good coaching, the question we tend to use is, so do you have any feedback for me? which is a terrible question. It's a really hard question for people to answer. They're not sure, like, okay, about what and how honest should I be. So instead, our recommendation, and you can do this just informally every month or two with somebody different, is to ask for one thing. So go to someone and say, hey, what's one thing? What's one thing I'm doing or maybe I'm failing to do that you think is getting in the way? Or what's one thing that if I change it, it would make a difference to you and how we're working together? Notice I'm not saying, is there anything, because they'll say, oh, no, you're, you're great, you're perfect. It's assuming I know that there's a short list you have of things you wish I would change, because we all have them for each other. Just give me one of them. You're much more likely to get something specific. You're much more likely to get something that's clearly coaching, and it starts a really rich conversation between the two of you and often will be reciprocated by the person on the other side. They'll start to get curious about what they could change um, so that you could work more effectively together. 
It strikes me. I mean, I love that question, Sheila. What's the one thing that I'm either doing or not doing that would make a difference to you? And that there's a bit of that that feels like I'm taking control of the conversation by asking for one thing, as opposed to hanging around and waiting for you to kind of get the chance to tell me what it is you think I might need to be working on. Is that your yeah, experience I, as well? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and often people are just, you'll be, you're amazed how fast they have an answer. It's like, okay, apparently you had that ready, so why didn't you just offer it? But they're kind of waiting for permission, particularly if you're above them in the hierarchy. They're not going to volunteer it because they don't want to risk their relationship with you. So as leaders, it's particularly important for you to be asking what's one thing. And it doesn't even have to be what's the one thing. It doesn't have, okay. They don't have to decide if it's the most important one. Just give me one thing off the top one of your thing. head and it'll start a good conversation. Okay. All right. And then, you know, suppose one minute on this one, Sheila, knowing we could spend two hours on it. Suppose I reject the feedback. Suppose I decide, no, that's not important to me. Yeah. Any advice? Yes. I'm so glad you asked. It's critically important that you circle back to the person to say why you're not following the advice. There are lots of good reasons not to, you know, that's not my biggest problem. You know, I've got to focus on other things right now. I've, de- I've decided to accomplish what you're suggesting in a different way. So I heard what you were saying, but I'm going to go about solving it differently. If you neglect come circling back to talk to them, they think that either you didn't hear it or you didn't care. And you do okay. more damage than good. Great, especially if I've taken time to tell you about it. Um, right. And then we All get I the want to know as the, as the giver is that you took me seriously and considered it. Um, okay. Actually, whether or not you follow it, if you took me seriously, in most cases, I'm satisfied. Okay, fair enough. With me today is Sheila Heen. The book we've been talking about is Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well, Even When It's Off-Base, Unfair, Poorly Delivered, and Frankly, You're Not in the Mood. Sheila, thanks very much. I think the powerful thing of this conversation is really beginning to understand the triggers that get set on all of us when we get feedback, the defensiveness that comes with that or the self-critical um, criticism. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, next week, we'll be talking with Jesse Sostrin, and we're going to be talking about how to better manage your capacity and that of the team so that you get more stuff done. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.